So I invite you to open your Bibles to John 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. For the uh, last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how John uh, 1, 1 to 5 introduces this person called the Word. And uh, it is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the Word whose glory, the Apostle John says, we beheld. And it is the Word whose glory is related to us in this book so that we can behold that glory too. In these opening verses, um, we're introduced to the Word, however, not as He is post-incarnation. That is, we're not being introduced to the Word as He is after He became flesh and dwelt among us. We're being introduced to the Word as he eternally was before his incarnation. Before he took on flesh and dwelt among us, who was he? Who was he then? That's, what, that's the question these opening verses are addressing, and it's really key to understand these opening verses in order to understand the rest of this gospel. It's only as we understand who the word is before he became flesh that we will understand and grasp the significance of what the Word said and did after He became flesh. So you have to understand who He is before He became flesh in order to appreciate what He said and what He did after He took on flesh. Now these first five verses of John tell us three things about the Word primarily. I mean, We could tease this out and come up with all kinds of other things that uh, this is saying about the Word, but there are three primary things we want to focus on as we're walking through these verses. We've already looked at two of them. Today we're going to be looking at that last one. So first of all, a few weeks ago, we we saw the Word's relationship to God presented in verses 1 and 2. Who is the Word in relation to God? And we read there in uh, verse 1 that in the beginning of all things, the Word was. That is, He was eternally existing before creation, eternally coexisting, with the Father, yet distinct from Him, as it says, with the Father, or with God, and yet still co-equal with the Father, sharing in the fullness of the divine nature. And we drew out the implication of that, the reality that this is telling us any conception of God is, is incomplete and is, in fact, error. It's erroneous if your conception of God does not focus upon and include this person called the Word. You cannot understand God without him, even before his incarnation. The second thing we notice is in verse 3, and that is the word in his relation to creation. Right? Verse 3 says that all things were made through him, and apart from him was not anything made that was made. And We saw that that is just telling us that this word is the means by which anything that now exists actually was brought into existence. So that the Father and the Spirit and the Son, as they work together to bring creation about, the the will of the triune God, it is specifically the Son who is the means by which it all came about. And we looked at the importance of that, the significance of that, or at least I tried to note that as briefly as I could, that really that's pointing us to the reality that the Father's will for all of creation is that everything in this world would be Christ-centered. Now, you can broaden that out and say that everything needs to be God-centered. Yes, that's true. But the Father, what is He working to see accomplished in this world? He is working to see all of the enemies of His Son submitted to His Son's feet. Right? Jesus says it is the Father who glorifies the Son. Right? 
So what is the Father working towards in all of creation? He is working towards the summing up of all things in Christ, whether things in heaven or things on earth. And what we find here is that that's not just the end goal, and that will not only be the end result of all of God's workings and dealings in creation. This has actually been the Father's intention from the very beginning. That it was through the Word that the Father had dealings with this world. And it is only ever going to be through the, world, through the Word that the world will have dealings with the Father. At least redemptive and saving dealings. So that was the second thing we noticed. Now the third, in the passage we're looking at today, uh, we find um, the, what's being highlighted is the Word's relationship to humanity. So we've seen the Word in relation to God. We've seen the Word in relation to creation in general. But now we're focusing in more particular, particularly on the Word in relation to humanity. Verse 4 opens by saying, In Him was life, and the life was what? The light of who? Men, right? So there we're looking at humanity in general. In him was life. We dipped into that last week, right? That life exists in the Son absolutely. It exists in the Word inherently. It is part of his essence and his makeup as being uh, fully divine, fully God. Uh, it belongs to him to have life in himself. Now, we can see that important, the importance of that connection to what's stated in verse 3, right? Like in verse 3, he created all things whatsoever exist. Why? How could he do that? Why did he do that? Why was it him that could do that? Well, because in him was life. That is, he had the ability to do that, and therefore everything was created through him. But verse 4 is taking us in a different direction. It's not looking back to verse 3. It's pointing forward to explain something about the Word's relation to humanity. So there are three things today that we want to look at from this description in, uh, of the Word and His relation to humanity in verses 4 and 5. So three things, three main headings. Number one, we're going to look at the Word's life. The, the, we're going to look at the fact that the Word's life is humanity's light. The Word's life is humanity's light. Point number two, humanity in darkness does not understand the light. Humanity in darkness does not understand the light. And then number three, the light continues to shine even in our darkness. And that is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we dig into this, Get into this word and look at these three things. Would you pray with me and ask for the Lord's blessing? Yeah. Father, how we look for the day when the light of the world will be revealed to our eyes physically in the fullness of his glory. Lord, outshining the noonday sun as the Apostle Paul himself saw and could testify Father, how we long to see your Son with our own eyes. We have that groaning of the Holy Spirit birthed in our hearts, Lord, that this world is not our home. In the glory and the sparkling glitter of the world is not enough to satisfy us, Lord. You've awakened us to the reality that this world has nothing to offer that can actually satisfy that longing and that hunger that we were created to have met in you and in you alone. Father, I thank you that you have satisfied that hunger in my own life, in my own heart. You've shown me where the fountain of living water can be found, Lord. It's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the the numbers of sinners that you have redeemed and shown that same reality. That all we were seeking for in this life, all we were searching after in our darkness and in our sin, it was just a cheap substitute for what actually can be given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that 
those of us who know that reality would rejoice in this good work that you have begun in our lives. Lord, knowing that you who have begun that work, you will see it through to completion. And you will, let, you will make sure that your Son is fully honored and glorified in us and through us. Father, I pray for those who may be among us who do not know you, Lord, who are still chasing after the things of the world, trying to find things in this world that satisfy them. God, I pray you would awaken them to the truth that satisfaction is only found in your Son. He is your beloved Son, Father. And you've shared your beloved Son with us so that we might see him as our beloved too. God, so please awaken those who are lost. Bring them out of their darkness and help them see what they cannot see on their own. Yes, Lord, we are praying for miracles this morning. And we believe that you are the God of miracles. And we call upon you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would do these things for his sake, for your glory, for our good, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. Well, as I said, as we're looking today into the words relation to humanity, there are three things we want to focus on. The first one is that the words life is humanity's light. The words life is humanity's light. John 1.4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now, it was a little challenging for me uh, the last few weeks as I've been working through that statement to, to come to the point where I felt I had a good grasp on what John was saying. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Does anyone have a ready explanation for what that means? You're ready to share with us? So often when we're reading through the scriptures, we read statements like this, and we kind of just glance over them, right? It's just, it's like a rock skipping on water. When you get a good one, it just touches and goes, touches and goes, right? Sometimes we read the word like that. We come across really deep, spiritually meaningful, full, rich, uh, amazingly otherworldly, supernatural statements in the word. And we just kind of bounce on them, and we're like, huh, I don't know that I quite understand what that means. And then we just move on to the next thing. I was feeling the pressure, because I have to preach this text, to figure out what does this mean for us. If I'm going to tell you, here's what this means, I need to understand it for myself. Well, I was having some problems uh, working through this, and so I did what most of us do whenever we have a question about what God's word means. I ran to the commentaries. Right? I went and I asked other men what they thought God's word meant. Now, sometimes that can be very helpful. It can be very helpful to go to commentaries and get insight from other people and understanding what certain verses are talking about. But other times, it can be um, frustratingly unhelpful when you realize that even the commentaries themselves do not understand what this passage means. Let me give you an example. This was the one that stood out to me the most. Uh, one of my commentaries on this passage, and I, just so you know, I read about 15. So one of them explained this part of verse 4 simply by saying this. And this is all it said about verse 4, or this part of verse 4. The origin of light is the life force pulsating in the very word of God. And I read that and I thought, wow, that is amazing. Isn't that insightful? That feels powerful. Listen to those words. Life force, pulsating. Yes, there's something. There's like a heartbeat there, right? Now, after my initial excitement, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's really insightful. And I just started thinking through, okay, wait, what, what is it even saying? What does that mean, right? And after asking, looking at it over and over and over again, I came to realize I don't think that's saying anything more than what I already feel that I've grasped on this verse. I don't think it's helping me at all, right? What does that mean? 
Well, whenever we come to a passage like this, maybe it's entirely clear to you, but it wasn't clear to me. When we come to a passage in Scripture like that that we're struggling to understand, the first thing we need to do is, A, beg for God to help us understand His Word. The God who inspired His Word is entirely able and capable of helping us understand what it means. Okay? And then we need to go to His Word itself and seek for the answer, to seek clarity from what God has spoken in other clearer passages in His Word. Now, as we're trying to dig out what does it mean that this life that was in the Word was the light of men, I think it's also helpful for us to understand that when this is, what this is talking about here, or excuse me, I think it's helpful for us to understand that these opening verses in the Gospel of John are setting in our minds broad themes and categories that the rest of the Gospel is going to unpack for us, right? So these first 18 verses in particular are just setting before us themes, broad themes that he's going to explain to us later on as the gospel moves forward, right? So it's like setting up the filing cabinet in our mind with these certain folders, right? You have a, a folder of the eternal nature of the word. You've got a folder of his creative abilities. Now we have a folder of how he interacts with humanity, and we're being told that part of that interaction includes being the light of men, right? That's what John's doing. He's simply labeling the folders. And then as we work through this gospel, those folders are going to fill up with information of what it means. So in order to explain to you what I think this is saying, um, the realized very shortly after I felt rebuked by the Spirit and repenting and running to men first rather than running to God, I discerned that the best place to start looking to understand what John means here is to pay attention to how he uses this language in other parts of this gospel. Because that will help us discern what he means. One of those passages where John repeats this language of light and darkness and life is in John 3, verses 19 through 21. Now, I'm not going to unpack this fully right now. I'm thankful for that. We'll get to that eventually. But just pay attention to what these verses say. John 3.19, and this is the judgment, right? This is right on the heels of Jesus saying that the Father did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, but rather that the world would be saved through him, right? Well, here we say this is the judgment that has come. Even though the Father did not purposefully send forth the Son to condemn the world in his first coming, there is still a judgment that manifests. And what is that judgment? Well, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. Now, as I said, you know the context here. Light coming into the world is simply another way of referring to the Son of God himself coming into this world. Being sent by the Father into the world to be light for the world, so that all might come to him and believe in him and have life in his name. That's the context here. But verse 20 tells us that even though light has come into the world, men do not want to come to the light because they are afraid of their deeds being exposed. Verse 19 said that they loved darkness rather than the light, and therefore they would not come to the light. What makes us as sinners love the darkness and hate the light? It's our evil deeds. We don't want to be exposed for what we truly are. When we draw near to God, there is only one inevitable consequence of that. The light of his holiness and his glory illuminating the depths of our own depravity. Right? See, the closer we get to God, the more we see how much we actually are not like him at all. Right? And so when the light came into the world to shine upon the situation in which men found themselves, that illuminating effect of the light did nothing but awaken the consciences of men and fill them with shame because their deeds are evil. Right. And so what do they do to the light? They run from it. They flee from it. However, verse 21 says that those who come to the light are those who practice the truth. They don't mind their deeds being exposed in the presence of God because there's no shame in their deeds. 
There's no shame attached to them. They can confess with a clean conscience that their deeds have been carried out in God. That is, their deeds have been carried out in the light of truth concerning who God is and in the light of fellowship with Him. Those who are walking with the Lord with a clean conscience are never bothered at the thought of drawing near to God. They're not even bothered at the thought of the light of God exposing their sin. Because they are walking in truth with God. They are walking in fellowship with Him. They've come to be spiritually illumined and awakened to who He really is. And they trust Him. And so light in this context, John 3, light is something that not only exposes what is wrong with us, but it's also something that is shining on the path that is right. Right? It's, It's illuminating what is true. Showing us where we are wrong. Another one would be John 8, 12, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there you have those same themes appearing again. You've got light, you've got darkness, and you have life. And in this context, light represents knowledge and understanding of the truth about who God is. And specifically, light represents knowing the truth about God in relation to Jesus. Okay? I'm building on this. Please follow me as we walk through this. John 7.43 tells us that during Jesus' earthly ministry, there was a lot of confusion about who he was among the Jewish people. Some said he was a good man. Others said he was a deceiver. Some said he was a prophet. Others said he's the Christ. There was darkness, in other words, concerning men's ability to perceive the truth about Jesus. They didn't know who he was. They could see his deeds. You remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and he said, Lord, we know, Master, we know, teacher, that you have been sent by God because no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. There was a recognition that Jesus is someone really special. And yet Jesus looks back to Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, you think you see something about me, but you don't yet see the truth. I'm telling you, you think I'm special, that's great, but you don't see what that special behavior, those deeds that I'm doing, you don't see what that's actually testifying about me. You're looking at the sign and you're not looking beyond the sign to see the glory that it's revealing about the person. And so Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of heaven. You think you see something, but you don't see anything yet. There was a lot of confusion like that among the Jewish people during Jesus' earthly ministry. In John 7, 28, Jesus tells us bluntly what the real source of our problem is. The reason that men did not know who Jesus really was, despite what they were seeing in his life, and it's the same It's the same today. A lot of people think Jesus is someone special, but they don't actually see the glory of who Jesus is. Why is that? Well, here in John 7, 28, Jesus gives us the answer. The reason why people did not know who he is was simply because they did not truly know who God is. He says, you both know me and you know where I'm from. There should be a question mark there. This is sarcasm. You both know me and you know where I'm from? I've not come of myself, Jesus says. The one sending me is true whom you do not know. You see that connection? They don't know who Jesus is because they don't know who the one who sent him is. In fact, he elaborates on that a little more fully in John 8 verse 19 where he says, You neither know me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Now look at the pairing there. Jesus says, you don't know me because you don't know the Father. And then he turns around and says, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. This is our darkness. This is the darkness that John 1.4 is talking about. It's talking about our ignorance about God. Our ignorance about who God has revealed himself to be in Jesus Christ. To be in darkness means that we lack true understanding about who God is and about who Jesus is. 
And the only way that any man, woman, or child can come out of that darkness is to come to Jesus as the light. That's what Jesus is saying there in John 8, 12. If you want to know who I am and you want to know who the Father is, you must come and abide in my light. I am the light of the world. He who follows after me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. John 12, 44 through 46 is another one I want to draw to your attention. I don't mean to belabor this point, but I think it's helpful to see how John develops these themes through the rest of the gospel so we can understand what he means here at the opening. In John 12, 44 through 46, Jesus cried out and said, he's, yeah, let me start, hang on, hold on, hit the brakes. In John 12, um, the context here is the fact that Jesus has done many signs and many deeds, and yet the people were not believing in him, right? And after kind of a parenthetical statement, John comes back to that question or that reality saying Jesus did many things. They didn't believe in him. And then Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. As he see, excuse me, and he who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light in the world. You see that connection there? Believing in Jesus is believing in the one who sent Jesus. Seeing Jesus is seeing the one who sent Jesus. And then Jesus says, this is why I've come into the world, so that I would give light to the world. So there you have this reality of darkness being pictured as this deep ignorance of who God is. We don't know him, so we can't believe in him. We don't see him, so we can't look at him. And here Jesus is saying, this is why I've come into the world, to give you the light that you need so that you can believe, so that you can see who God is. Seeing Jesus is equal to seeing the Father who sent him. Believing in Jesus is equal to believing in the Father who sent him. And Jesus says, this is what it means that I have come into the world as light, that in seeing me and believing in me, you will finally be brought into a right relationship with God, a relationship of seeing him for who he is and believing in him rightly and of walking in the light and truth of him. Now, combining all this together, I think we can understand what John 1.4 is getting at. To have light is to have true knowledge and spiritual understanding about God. And to walk in that light is to walk in the glory of life-filled fellowship with God. And so, to say that in the Word was life, and the life that was in the Word was the light of men, means that the Word himself is the key to humanity's life in the light and knowledge of God. The word himself is the key to mankind enjoying fellowship with God in the truth. And it's only in knowing the word as the source of our life that we will walk in the light of the true knowledge of our God. You follow that there? Some of you? I mean, this is just the gospel, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 6. This is just the gospel. I'll repeat it. Thank you. And so to say that in the word was life, and the life that was in him was the light of men, is simply to say that the word himself is the key to humanity living in fellowship with God in the truth. And it's only in knowing the word as the source of our existence. It's only in knowing the word as the one who gave birth to our life as individuals. It's only in knowing him as the life giver that we will walk in the light of true knowledge and communion with God our creator. This is simply, I mean, this is the truth that's at the heart of the gospel. As I just said, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, right? 
The light of the knowledge of the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ is the light that the Father speaks into our dark and dead hearts when He's going to make us born again. What is it that causes us to come out of our deadness and sin and out of our depravity and being awakened into a new life with God and a new fellowship with God and knowing Him for who He is and who He's revealed Himself to be in Jesus? What is it that awakens us to see something glorious about the person of Jesus, to see His cross as something worth hoping in, to see His resurrection as a reality that's true, to see His ascension as that in which we place our hope? What is it that causes us to see those things? Is it just cultural conditioning? No, it's not. It is the Father taking the light of the knowledge of the truth and speaking it into the darkness of our hearts and causing us to come alive. It's regeneration, right? Being born again. 1 John 5.20, it says, This is the very reason why the Son has come into the world. So that he might give us understanding. So that we might know him who is true. It's that illumination that we're getting at here. What does it mean for the life that's in Jesus to be the light of men? We're saying that it's only in the word that we have the right illumination about who God is as our creator and our Lord. Now, let me back up there. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that's obviously talking about post-incarnation Jesus, right? We're talking about post-incarnation word. We're talking about post-death, post-resurrection, post-ascension. We're talking about the message of the gospel as it goes forth. People are being born again. They're being brought to faith in Jesus. This is the light of the world. Jesus is that light, and we go forth proclaiming that. 1 John 5.20, again, we're talking about understanding that is imparted to us by a post-incarnation word, right? A a, a Jesus, the Son of God who has taken on flesh and is now explaining to us who God is. All of that is post-incarnation. However, the difference between those statements about Jesus being the light and John 1.4's statement about Jesus being our light is that that is pre-incarnation. Some of you got that. It's from the beginning that Jesus, it's from the beginning that the word has been the light of men. In other words, there's never been a moment of illumination about who God is. There's never been a moment of interaction with God at all in human history that has ever taken place apart from the word. We're going to see that more clearly in John 1.18, so I don't want to unpack that as fully as I desire to right now. But the reality is, guys, is that Jesus is not some Johnny-come-lately. He's not some new thing. He's He's not plan B that... God pulled out of his pocket and was like, oh, now I'm going to fix everything that you guys have jacked up. That's not God's plan with Jesus. That's never been the case. In fact, there's only ever been interaction with God between God and humanity. There's only ever been the means of the word. Everything we know about God flows through him and from him. And therefore, he is not only our life, but he is our light. And it's only in his light that we actually walk in fellowship with God. We'll unpack that more fully in the future. Now, that was before our fall into sin. Even before our fall into sin. When we see God walking in the cool of the day with with Adam and Eve, we're, we're presuming that that was the normal pattern of fellowship between God and man before the fall in sin. When we see that kind of interaction taking place, when we see Adam beholding a form that is God, talking with him, what we are beholding is the pre-incarnate word. Fellowshipping with man and making man aware of who God is. Now that's pre-fall. And it's always been the sun who was shining on us, the true knowledge of God, our creator. And we only walked in the light of the knowledge and understanding of God as that light shone upon us in the person of the word. But there's a problem. 
which leads us to the second main point for today. Humanity is in darkness, and even though that light shines upon us, we do not understand. We don't comprehend the light. Notice what verse 5 says. It says, the light of men that flows through the word, this life that is light flowing through the word, shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Here is humanity's greatest problem. This is the issue that has to be worked out if we are going to come to know who God is and walk with him in truth. From the beginning of creation, the word has been shining the light of the knowledge of the glory of God upon us, and yet humanity now exists in a condition that can only be described as darkness. A darkness that is not the simple absence of light, but it's a darkness of ignorance. A darkness of inability to understand the truth about God, our creator, as that truth is shining upon us through the word. We see that as I pointed out in the end of verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I need to address here a translational issue. Because I guarantee you, if we took every translation in this room and we compared what they said on verse 5, we would find two main different translations. One of them would read something like, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it, overpower it, overcome it, didn't conquer it. The other translation, the way of translating this, would say something like, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it, did not understand it, did not comprehend it. Now, which one is right? I heard both. Yeah. Well, you can tell that there is a vast difference between those two things. There's a difference between comprehending something and conquering something. Now... Maybe I shouldn't say vast difference. There's a similarity there, isn't there? I guess in essence, one is speaking of the ability of the darkness to overpower and conquer the light, and the other is speaking of the darkness's ability to understand or comprehend the light. And in the different context in which this word is used in the scriptures, it could mean either one. So which one does it mean here? Are we content to say, well, it means both, and let's move on. Maybe some of us are. But I think that we should understand this word as comprehend here in verse 5. And there's a reason for that. Verse 5 launches us into a discussion about the ministry of John the Baptist. Why did John the Baptist come? He came to bear witness about the light. We're going to see that next week. Why did John the Baptist have to come in order to bear witness about the light? Look with me in verse 9 and 10. The main reason this man named John was sent from God was because the true light, which enlightens every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but here's the problem. The world did not know him. So why was John the Baptist sent to minister for the sake of the word? So that once the word came, those to whom John had ministered would recognize this is the one that John was telling us about. This is the word. He is the one, as verse 10 says, he's the one that was in the world. He's the one that made the world, but he's the one the world did not know. Now that's dealing with comprehension. That's dealing with understanding, right? And I believe that that's the same idea being communicated in verse 5. Now... Why is that important? Well, I think it's important first to note that when we're talking about our failure to comprehend and understand the light of God that's shining upon us in the word, through the word, we're not talking about a lack of information. What we're talking about is a lack of perception or ability to perceive. 
We all know facts about Jesus. We can understand the truth about the message of the gospel in a mental sense. We can give mental assent to it. But a failure to understand it is an entirely different matter. Because we're not simply talking about understanding the gospel and being saved by the gospel through a mental comprehension of what the gospel means. When we talk about understanding the nature of the gospel and being saved by Jesus Christ, we are talking about a spiritual illumination that has taken place in our hearts. We're talking about an awakening that has come about that causes us not just to see the facts of the gospel, but to see the glory that is underneath those facts. It's something that has, has, has reshaped our, 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 our affections, our emotions, our, our mental capacity. It's all awakened and enlarged to see something about Jesus that goes beyond what is merely written on the page. Not in a Barthian sense, guys. Some of you understand that. It's something that takes us beyond the mere fact being communicated to us and translates us into the glory that belongs to Jesus. And we see him. We see him by faith. This is what it means to be awakened out of our darkness, which means that darkness is just the opposite. The darkness that's described here in verse 5 is spoken of in many different ways throughout the scripture. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to run through these quickly. Scripture describes this darkness as a darkness of the mind, right? Romans 8, verse 7, that we are born with a mind that is set on the flesh, a mind that is hostile to God. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it's a, it's a mindset that leaves us, a spiritual condition that leaves us unable to understand the things of the Spirit of God, things that can only be spiritually discerned, but we can no longer see them because our spirits are dead in the presence of God due to our sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's not only a darkening of the mind, it's a darkening of our affections. It's a darkening of what we desire. You see that in John three nineteen. Our problem is not merely that we dwell in an atmosphere of darkness. Our problem is that we love to dwell in an atmosphere of darkness. The depth of our darkness is not just the fact that we are trapped in that darkness. The depth of our darkness is that we love to be trapped in that darkness. We love our sin. We love our rebellion against God. We love being number one. We love everyone else to serve us. Right? That manifests in so many ways. You're driving your car down the road. Somebody cuts you off. What are you most upset about? Someone pulls out in front of you at a four-way stop. Let's use that one. It's your turn, you have the right of way, and someone takes your right away. What are you upset about? That's my turn. That's not right for you to do that. Just a dumb example, but it's one way that our selfishness manifests. Right? I'll do something for you if you do something for me. That type of mentality. We love things to be that way. In fact, 2 Thessalonians 2.12, it describes this darkness as the unrighteousness that we take pleasure in. We take pleasure in it. It's this deadening of our affections to desire the things that are evil and to hate the things that are good. And with the darkened mind and darkened affections comes the darkening of our will. We love the darkness and we will not, in and of ourselves, choose to live without it. Romans 1.18, any light of the knowledge of God that shines upon us in this dark condition the only thing we do with that knowledge is seek to suppress it, to actively hold it down in our unrighteousness. Not because we don't know the truth, but as Romans 1.21 says, that although we knew God, we knew the truth, we did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but we became futile in our thoughts and our foolish hearts were darkened. That's why we, that's why we refuse the truth and that's why we seek to suppress it. Because we have foolish, futile, and darkened hearts and minds. I think this is described really better than anywhere else in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. 
where it says that we all were like, we all, like Gentiles, we were lost in the futility of our mind, we were darkened in our minds, we were alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us, because of the hardness of our hearts, and having become callous, we gave ourselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness, it says. We were eager, we were greedy to practice impurity and immorality. And you see represented there that darkening of the mind, the darkening of the affections, the darkening of the will, that in the totality of our being, we are completely handed over to darkness. That is the condition of every human being born into this world. We are born into a state that is dead to God because of our sin, a state that, rev that revels in evil and wickedness and takes pleasure in the darkness. And the result being estrangement from the God who made us. We are alienated from him, separated from him, having hearts that are filled with ignorance of him, dwelling in darkness. And so long as we remain in that state of estrangement from God, it does not matter how much of his light shines down upon us, we remain blind to it. And so first, or John 1.5 tells us what our main problem is in relation to the word. Our main problem is not a lack of evidence, about the facts of Jesus or the reality of God. Our main problem is not a lack of light that is there to give us illumination. Our main problem is a lack of ability to comprehend the light that is shining. It leads us to our third point, and we're going to end in this one. That is the bad news of our condition, that we've been estranged from the light, and even though the light shines, we... We don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. It's because of our sinful nature. However, there is also good news that is revealed to us here in John 1, verse 5. John 1, 5 says, The darkness may not be able to comprehend the light, but that has not kept the light from shining upon us. The darkness may not understand the light that is shining, but the ignorance of the darkness does not keep the light from shining. In other words, our darkness has not deterred the word from shining the light of the knowledge of the glory of God upon us. The light of fellowship that he shines upon us in the giving of that life is not some contrived or artificial facade that he presents to the world. He's not grandstanding here. He's not painting some picture that is not reality when he shines the light of the knowledge and goodness and love of God upon us. The word, our creator, really does want you and I to bask in life with him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to seek him. He wants us to recognize him and to trust in him and to love him. No matter who we are, his eyes will not despise those who look to him through the lens of his light. He is shining his light for a reason. The very reason that he spoke to the Pharisees saying, I say these things to you so that you might be saved. From the very beginning, the word has been shining the light of the knowledge of the glory of God upon this world of humanity so that we would come to know God in spirit and in truth. And so that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. The word has been doing that despite our rebellion, despite our willful ignorance of who he is and our absolute rejection of all that he has shined upon us. The word has come nonetheless and said, I'm still here and I'm still shining if you will only but look. Isn't that glorious? Those of you who know your darkness and your sin, you know how glorious that is because you don't deserve that. You, don't deserve, you have spurned him with your sin. You have sinned against the light of the knowledge of the glory of God with a high hand. You have declared to God that you will be served and you will not be serving him. And yet the light continues to shine. The light continues to shine on you in that state. Looking upon you with compassion and with eyes of mercy and grace 
saying, oh, ignorant creature, if you will but open your eyes and see the truth. This light that is shining upon the world through the word will not draw back his hand from anyone who reaches out to take it. Not even from the beginning, guys. Not even from our first fall into darkness. The light has continued to shine. Even though the darkness does not comprehend or understand or grasp the beauty and the glory and the magnificence of the light of life, he continues shining it on us anyway. And we see this in various ways, especially in the book of Acts. I'm struck by the ministry to the Gentiles in the book of Acts because it highlights so many of these things of how God has been bearing witness to the world even apart from his word, but bearing witness to the world through creation of his goodness and his grace that is there for those who will receive it. Acts 14, 15 through 17. The living God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that is in them, yes, in generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own way. He let them go the way they wanted to go. But he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and he gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling your hearts with food and with gladness. That is an amazing expression of the grace of God, the common grace of God that pours out upon the world of humanity, the undeserving world of sinners. Not just that he would provide for us life and breath and all things and give us food and clothing and work and purpose, but that he would allow us to do that with gladness. That there's an experience of delight and pleasure that comes from the hand of God, even upon the most reprobate sinner in this world. God's common grace is still abundantly flowing to that person. Acts 17, 24 through 28. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything from us. He doesn't. He didn't make us to serve him. He made us to serve himself. Demonstrate his own glory. Anyway, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to inhabit all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Now look at all that language. How intimately involved is God in the life of the most reprobate sinner? He's established the boundaries of his existence. He gives life to that sinner. He gives breath to that sinner. He allows that sinner's heart to beat and that brain to function. He allows that sinner to enjoy so many things in this world. In fact, it says he's near to that sinner. With every breath that he breathes, every moment of life he experiences, God is near to that sinner. Is that not grace unmeasured, love untold? And that's not even the love and the grace of the gospel. The very fact that we have life and food and gladness, as surely as God fills our lungs with his air, he is near to each one of us, shining his light and testifying to us as the author of life that we can come and share in his goodness. So the darkness has not deterred the light from shining. Secondly, this one will be quicker, and then the last one will be really quick, okay? I promise. Secondly, I want you to notice the grace and the patience of Christ himself in this. Think about what this verse shows us, the light shining in the darkness. Think about what this shows us about the word's desire to have fellowship with us despite what we are. If this was the word's stance 
toward us before he joined in that holy union of incarnation with us. If this was his posture towards us before he united himself to us by becoming a man, then how much more is his disposition towards humanity now full of goodness and grace since he has united himself to us in the incarnation? If he was this good from the beginning before he entered into this world and became one of us, then how much more is that grace and goodness there for us now that that has happened? No matter how dark, and this is what I want to get at here. Please, please hear me here. No matter how dark things may appear to be, as this text makes clear, Jesus Christ is always shining in that darkness. So whether we're talking about the darkness of the world, we're talking about the darkness of our friends and families, and the darkness that rears its ugly head in the church sometimes, or even the darkness that we see and sense in ourselves. Even in that darkness, the light of the Word is shining upon us, not just as our Creator, but now, God be praised, as our Redeemer, as the one who came to save us from that darkness. The one who united himself to us to show us the way of the light, right? No matter how dark things may appear to be, the light of Christ has always been, is, and always will be shining. Shining for us to see it, shining for us to receive it, shining for us to believe in it and to act upon it. And my prayer is that you are one who has acted upon that light. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever in this room, Jesus Christ has come to shine the light of the knowledge of the glory of God upon you. Are you receiving that light? Are you walking in that light? Here's my third point. We're going to end right here. Are you letting his light shine in your life? Or are you still holding on to areas of darkness? Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 9. If you're a believer in here, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You formerly were trapped in this darkness that made you ignorant of God and all of his ways, but now you have been translated out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. Now as children of the light, you are commanded to walk as children of the light. You've been renewed unto the God of your creation. Now you are commanded to walk in the light of the God of your creation. What areas of your life are you still holding on to the darkness? Is it in what you watch on TV? What you listen to? Is it the attitude that you take towards your husband or your wife? Is there darkness there? Or is the light penetrating your life and shining out through you? What about in the attitude that you have at work? Would those who look upon your attitude say, man, there's something different about that guy, that lady? And everything else around here is full of complaining, bitterness, grumbling, griping. But man, that person, there's something that's good about that person's stance towards all of this stuff. The light is shining forth from that person. Is that, is that you? As you think about the political scene in America, there's plenty of opportunity to be engrossed by darkness. Right? But are we letting the light even shine in the way we interact with that. Everything in our lives, guys, is meant to be redeemed by the light. Jesus Christ came to give us knowledge and understanding about him who is true so that we might walk in light of that knowledge. Are you walking? Are you walking in that light? I pray that you are. If you're like me, you are and you're not at the same time. There are areas in my life where the light is shining. There are areas in my life where it needs to shine a little brighter. And so may you and I purpose to come to God through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and submit ourselves to the shining of his light. Father, we do pray for this as the great and glorious aim of our lives, Lord. We want to walk with you. We want to dwell with you in fellowship in the light. We want to honor and praise you as the God of light, the God in whom there is no darkness at all. And we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. Lord, so please help us see the truth in Jesus. May your spirit fill us with divine illumination to know what is true, to understand and comprehend it, and to walk in the glory of it. Father, we pray that you would bless us, that you would strengthen us as we continue on through this week for your glory. And God, we pray as we celebrate these baptisms of those who have come to the light, those who have seen the light, so to speak, been brought out of their darkness. God, may this be a sweet time of fellowship and worship, not only for those being baptized, but for all of us who are entering into that joyful celebration. Father, we pray for this. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. It's always joyful to participate in baptisms, and, uh, but I'm going to dismiss you guys now, and uh, I hope that you have rejoiced in the Lord as much as I have today. Now, may the love of God, no, wait, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. 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 May you go in the peace of his name.